Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spurred. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. I start this live show on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel with a happy birthday to my mother. Where would we all be without my mother? I don't know. You'd be doing something else here at 8 a.m. Eastern on a random Wednesday. Mom, thank you. Not, not much more I can say to that, but thank you. Happy birthday. I won't say how old you are, but you look way younger, so keep going. Spurred. That is a word that has many meanings, but I'm talking about what happens to an organization when they win a lottery, they get a generational talent, and all of a sudden they're the talk of the town. I could say spurred is what happens when you stick something into a horse to make it go faster. I could say that the organization got spurred by winning the lottery because they're going to snap up and get out of their malaise. The San Antonio Spurs got really lucky last night and no one thought it was possible. The San Antonio Spurs somehow took their 14% shot. Somehow their calculated tanking happened at the right possible moment. Sort of reminded me of 1987 when they won the lottery and got David Robinson. Or maybe it reminds me of 1997 when they won the lottery and got Tim Duncan. Maybe it reminds me of 2023 when they won the lottery and got Victor Wembayama. So the NBA made a huge deal out of this lottery. It's become a thing. They're going for the NFL situation. Let's get people to watch. We're going to do a pregame show. We're going to fly an ESPN guy over to France and have him do a hit for what was like a minute, minute and a half in the middle of the night. We're going to show some people in-house where it was done in Chicago some players. I had a funny takeaway. If you're the NCAA, I would not be buying stock in college basketball in the NCAA. Half the players who they were talking about as early lottery picks were overtime elite. Some of the different places that we've talked about were G League, where you avoid the college basketball altogether and you actually get paid. Forget NIL, you get paid and you get coached. And apparently you can be a lottery pick too which means that college basketball is not exactly necessary as a stepping stone to be a pro. Unless you're Miller from Alabama, who we now know from Woj is just fine. No problems, was not involved in anything. Don't you worry. Hold on, I'm, I got his agent in my ear, Woj said. All right, let me be clear. No NBA teams have any issue with Brandon Miller from Alabama. He was. He is a great kid. All right, I'll say that, I promise. All right, just stick that 100K in my account, do you mind? All right, a lot going on during the lottery. We're hearing about the players. We know exactly how it's gonna work. Then you get NBA security guard to come to the stage after they introduce the people. No Jamie Gertz, because the Hawks weren't in it. 
So they go to the, sometimes it's the coach, my first sighting of Ime Udoka as the new coach of the Rockets. They have Wes Unsell Jr., who I'm looking at as the coach saying, holy cow, I remember your dad and was he good. So I'm watching to see who the teams have as representatives because it's absolutely an honor to be represented maybe. So certain teams have players go or players who used to be on the team are the representative. Just, it's a two second introduction. Hey, how you doing? But you have to spend the entire day in Chicago, free trip to Chicago, fine. Peter Holt Jr. is there for the San Antonio Spurs. Out comes Mark Tatum. It's great drama. You know exactly if a team is gonna move up or down. I was focused on the Dallas Mavericks, that team that got fined all that money for purposely tanking at the end of the season because they didn't want to give their draft pick to New York. And guess what? They didn't give their draft pick to New York. Dallas ended up with the number 10 pick, which means they keep it. And that's the end of that. So we're proceeding on. And then there's a moment where something happens that was strange because the Pistons had an opportunity to be a top pick. And we found out that they are going to be number five. And I'm looking and saying, wow, I think that means that the Spurs and the Hornets are competing to get the top pick, which is exactly what the NBA wanted to have happen because the Hornets, that would be a nice goodbye present to Michael Jordan. Hey, there's the number one pick. But I learned a little nugget yesterday after I recorded the show doing a little more digging. Yesterday, I said to you that if the Hornets got the number two pick, that would be X dollars. If the Hornets got the number one pick, Michael Jordan could go to the buyer of the team and say, hey, the team is now worth an extra couple hundred million. So that would be a huge benefit to Michael Jordan. It would be like half a year of Air Jordan revenue, personal revenue. But I found out through some digging and through some sources, can't name them because I don't break news. The valuation for the Charlotte Hornets was already locked in before the draft. The negotiation that they're doing is trying to get a purchase sale agreement done. They're trying to get the money together to buy out the rest of Jordan. The valuation was locked pre-draft. So there was no thank you, no goodbye present for Michael Jordan. So when I learned that, I was even more positive. I didn't know when I recorded yesterday's show, but when I learned that yesterday during the day, I was even more positive that the Spurs would win. And I'm not the biggest conspiracy theorist in the world. Sometimes I wonder why things happen. But having Victor go to the Spurs is perfect. They have a history of knowing what to do with big men. They have a history of Tony Parker, who is French, so there's some connectivity there. They have the greatest coach of all time who's coming off four losing seasons. After, don't forget, the San Antonio Spurs have won five titles under Popovich. Five. He's been coaching that team since 1996. And do you know how many times they've missed the playoffs? They missed it once in 29 years between 1990 and 2019. Once. Now they've missed it four straight times. Was Popovich out the door? Is he tired? Is he grumpy? Has he had enough? How about a revival in the name of Victor? You think that Poppy is going to leave the Spurs now? He's going to settle in and get a ring with another big guy. It actually makes perfect sense. It's the perfect destination. 
It is the perfect franchise. When they were good, they were doing just fine in the ratings. The broadcast partners were happy to show Robinson and Duncan. There were never any issues with those guys. They were a team that was a team led by a man who has social graces, social mores, social responsibility, all the things that Popovich as the face of the league, the face of coaches, if not the face of the entire league, is the perfect face. Maybe not said too often about Poppy. That said, I got to give him credit. He has made himself into the Hall of Fame coach. He's made himself into the championship coach. And now the Spurs are going to draft one. So, of course, we got a good quote. The quote after the win. So here's how it works. <laughs> they have NBA security come by and he's standing on stage and he walks the envelopes who are being held by the Ernst and Young guy. Like it's the Oscars. They put the envelopes down. Everyone's been secreted away in a room, all the representatives, no cell phones, no nothing. They have no idea. No one knows anything but this one mid-manager guy at Ernst and Young. Put the envelopes down and they're opening them one at a time. Like they needed the security guard to escort the Ernst and Young guy with the envelopes onto the podium to wait for Mark Tatum to come out from behind the screen. Would you give me a small break? Anyway, good drama. So they do the first 10 picks and then they say, when we come back, we will reveal the final four picks of the first round draft of the June 2023 draft. Another damn commercial. Great. That's good business for ESPN. It's good business for the NBA. Go to commercial. Meanwhile, they're showing Jokic warming up. They're showing LeBron warming up. And Woj is still saying that Victor is the number one prospect maybe of all time. Maybe in all of team sports. Okay. We discussed it yesterday. I agree that he's got a chance to be great. I agree that with the Spurs, his chance to be great is even more. So they show the Spurs winning. And all I could think of when they showed the bars and I was thinking when Zion won the lottery a few years ago and they showed the offices of the New Orleans Pelicans, them high-fiving each other when they were going to print money for selling season tickets. And it's the same type of thing. It's big business. There'll be ticket packages that are going to be made. Guess what? Incoming calls. That's all that's happening today. People calling them saying, get me tickets, get me tickets. Did San Antonio do dynamic pricing? I would assume so. Did their prices just go up from yesterday? I would assume so. So they're doing what they're supposed to do. The front office is going to make sure that he stays healthy, that he is healthy, though he played yesterday, the day of the lottery. So they're going to draft him. They'll give him his physical. Is there a concern that the San Antonio team doctors will have? Is there any concern at all? The answer is no. They're not going to assume there are arthritic knees. There's not going to assume that it's an Odin issue. They're not going to assume there's any degenerative issues anywhere in his body. They're going to look carefully, but no more carefully than they would otherwise look to any player. When you have a chance to draft this, as Woj says, generational guy, you're not going to find reasons not to. So then they go out with the quotes and the owner said, Peter Holt, our future was already bright Wow, it's going to be through the moon. Okay, that's good. I appreciate that. I like Coca says it to me sometimes. Let's go to the moon, David. But then we got a really good quote from the GM, Brian Wright. 
People talk about generational talent and they only think on-court skill, but it's bigger than that. His ability to be a great teammate, his ability to think the game, unique challenges. You see him doing things that you wouldn't even have guessed someone could do. His approach, his professionalism. When you use the word uh, generational talent, it extends beyond your ability to put the ball in the basket. Holy criminy. I'm not going to say whether it's hyperbole or not. I will say that a star in college or a star in a overseas league, once in a while it translates. Once in a while, second mention in a row of each row, you can dominate the Japanese league and then come over here and dominate. But guess what? There's also Dice K. Just because he is dominating in France does not mean that he will dominate in the NBA. He's got to earn it. He doesn't come in as a generational talent. He can become a generational talent. I've always had a hard time with this. I do not agree with giving someone, that's like calling someone the GOAT before they've had an at-bat. You have to earn GOAT status. It's not bestowed upon you. You can't be a generational talent until you're a generational talent. And there's no way that he's a generational talent. Yet, could he be? Maybe. My happy's on the Spurs? Would have liked him on the Knicks instead, that's for sure. And don't be so excited if you're with the Spurs thinking that you've got this generational talent because let's just go back a few years to the Zion draft. Is Zion a generational talent? Was he worth the standing ovation that he got all up and down the New Orleans coast? John Morant, generational talent, but he doesn't have the X factor off the field. We talked about John Morant yesterday. There was an update after the show yesterday that really upset me. John Morant gave a statement. He released a statement. He said, I know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me. This is a journey and I recognize there's more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions. I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. NGE, Ja, that's not good enough. And the reason why it's not good enough to say that my words may not mean much right now, I think you have to address the fact that your actions are speaking way louder than the words that you said only a short time ago. I would like to get you in a statement to tell me what you were doing, but your lawyer won't let you, your agent won't let you because the NBA is investigating. So my advice to Ja as his agent or representative would have been keep your mouth closed. There's not one statement we can make right now that is going to in any way impact the NBA's investigation. If they're going to suspend you, your statement is not going to change their mind. You're not going to change the will of the people or the will of the power by saying that you recognize that you have disappointed people. Adam Silver himself on the pregame show said he was shocked when he saw the video, but not coming to conclusions because the NBA is investigating. Adam Silver, you've been around the NBA for decades and you were shocked. Is this your first rodeo? You had the idea that he came and sat across from you and you thought that God intervened and, oh, he was cured? That somehow he was surrounding himself with the right people and he was not gonna play with his guns anymore? Is that what shocked you? The fact that he was? Or is it shocking that he didn't get cured in an eight-day suspension where he went away and got help and treatment in record time? Turns out, may not have worked. 
I'd prefer that everyone not say anything until the NBA comes out with its punishment. Then I want to see John Morant's statement saying, I deserve this suspension. It is inexcusable to put myself or my friends or my family or my teammates or my fans in a position where I could be jeopardizing the ability of the Memphis Grizzlies to win a world championship. I'm going to work every day for this to become a blip at the beginning of what will be a long distinguished Hall of Fame career. As far as addressing the exact issue, I have nothing more to say. The video speaks for itself. I'll tell you right now, I consider myself having two strikes and I'm thankful for the NBA for giving me a third strike. That would be my statement once the suspension is handed down. Not today, Ja, not today. You ruin it by doing that. So just remember, if you think that your franchise's fortunes are changing, you're so happy you got the sticky envelope yesterday in San Antonio, I would not be getting your finger size just yet. I wonder what size Doc Rivers wears. Doc Rivers has the 08 Celtics championship ring. Didn't get one with the Knicks. We came damn close in 94. Didn't get one with the Magic. Didn't get one with the Clippers. Didn't get one with the Sixers. One day after being eliminated by the Boston Celtics, we told you Doc Rivers was done. We had a good day predicting stuff. We said that Doc Rivers was going to get fired. Plenty of people did. Yesterday, Josh Harris took time out from faking the books of the Washington Commanders and decided to fire Doc Rivers. Don't say that these guys who own multiple teams don't have time to do different things. There's a lot of multitasking going on. You're increasing revenue projections with the commanders and you are firing your coach all while wondering why your hockey team got eliminated. It's a busy day. Doc Rivers fired. What's my reaction to that? I like it. I like it when you blame Doc Rivers because he has a bad record in game sevens. It's sort of like saying that you have a bad record in F1 races. You don't make a lot of podiums. True, but you're also one of the top 20 racers in the entire world. Doc Rivers is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Like it or not, his teams win. If the biggest criticism is that he can't win a game seven, there's a lot of coaches out there and a lot of teams who could use a loss in a game seven. Think about the number of teams who don't even get to that point. Not to say that the Sixers had any choice but because they had to show their fans that they were not going to stand pat. They had to show Joel Embiid that they were not going to stand for not making it out of the conference semifinals. If firing Doc Rivers means that they are choosing James Harden over Doc Rivers and that's why they fired him, then hear it now. The Philadelphia 76ers will never make the Eastern Conference Finals with James Harden on the team ever. And you can clip it, cut it. You can remind me that I said it. If Josh Harris chose James Harden as a way to get him to come back because he didn't want to play for Doc, please, James, come back. And they chose him over Doc Rivers. They will rue the day that they did that. James Harden will not get the Sixers, forget the NBA finals. He will not get him to the conference finals. So we'll see what happens with those Sixers. Meanwhile, Josh Harris had one heck of a day. 
And I'm not in any way impugning his ability to own a sports team or how much money he has or what his plan is with the commanders. What I was laughing at is there was a leak. Leaks are funny. Yesterday, his projections for the commanders got leaked to ESPN. Remember when I told you about Project Wolverine? Those were the projections that Jeter used when he was trying to get people to invest in the Marlins to pay the $1.2 billion to the owner of the Marlins. And those projections were all fantasy. And Derek Jeter got fired because he couldn't hit any of the projections. And I would have told him and did that your projections are absolutely impossible. They're unrealistic. But Jeter said, no, no, you were that bad, that you were that bad, David, that I'll hit these projections. Josh Harris is doing the same. Now I'm not comparing myself to Danny Snyder by any stretch. What Danny Boyd does, I find to be repulsive, reprehensible. He is truly disgusting and the NFL is better off without him. That said, Josh Harris's main plan in his revealed projections is that we are going to have a rebound because Snyder's gone and I'm here. Everybody who said that they weren't going to do business with us when Snyder was here is now going to do business. And we even had the president of the team go public to say we sold more sweets in a day than we had ever when it was announced that Snyder was selling. We've got a team that has a chance to be good and we're going to increase our season ticket base. We're going to get back to being the number one gate revenue team in all of football. And by the way, wink, wink, we're going to get about a billion and a half from Virginia. That's what you put in the projections that your new stadium is going to be financed by a billion and a half of public money. When the people in Virginia have said, yeah, we're not working with Snyder. We're happy to work with you, but no one said anything about 1.5 billion. In projections, you've got to make it clear to potential investors that everything you're saying could be and may be full of crap. That's got to be the proviso. It's got to be in the risks. There's no way that Harris is representing or warranting that this revenue will go up the way he says it will. There's no way that he can represent or warrant that they're going to get the stadium financing that he's claiming they will. He has to say that this is what we think is going to happen. So come be a limited partner and let's take this ride together in the National Football League and take over from the worst owner in the history of professional sports. Thank you, Danny boy. And we're all going to be able to pay back our debt. We're all going to be able to not put more money in. We're going to make money operationally. And we are going to be the success story in the NFL. I like it. I really do. That's what projections are for. Remember I taught you about base case and best case? You don't put anything other than best case in your projections when you're showing it to Magic Johnson or Norman Rails' son. You put it in there so that everyone can look and dream and say, wow, I'm going to be an owner of an NFL team. And look at this. Not only am I going to pay record price, but it's going to be totally worth it. And then when you go to the banks to borrow money, it's slightly different. They look at your best case and they take 30% off it and then take 30% off of that and then say how much money they're going to lend you. You can't fool banks. You can fool people in the media. You can fool fans and you can certainly fool rich people who want to say that they own a part of a baseball team or football team, but you can't fool bankers because the bankers don't care what you think or how bad Danny was or how good it's going to be when you're there and he's gone. They don't care. That's what makes me 
sort of smile, the smile of recognition. So how does this end? It doesn't end with J.J. Redick as coach of the Sixers. Did you see that? J.J. Redick is favored by some people to become the coach of the Sixers. They have a list that includes all of the fired coaches of the year and the fired coaches of the teams that won titles. You've got Budenholzer on the list. You've got Mike D'Antoni on the list. You've got Ricky Nurse on the list. That's not his name. Oh, my God. Ricky Nurse was someone I went to high school with who I haven't thought about or seen in roughly since 1985. Why that was in my head? I don't know. You can cut it out if you want, Coca. Let me give you a clean one if you want. Four, six, nine. You've got Nick Nurse on the list. I saw Sam Cassell on the list. Coaches are going to be chosen. J.J. Redick is the favorite non-starter. You cannot bring in a first-time head coach to be with Embiid and if it's going to be Harden in an effort to win a championship. Why don't you just look to the Brooklyn Nets who tried to bring in Steve Nash as a former player, first-time coach, and see how that went with the personalities. You think that James Harden's going to do better with J.J. Redick than he did with Steve Nash? You think that James Harden wants to have anything to do? Maybe James Harden and Joel Embiid will pick a coach. All I know is it's an important hire because as much as the process has now failed, and I can call it a failure, it's been 10 years, never making it out of the second round. I mean, good job. They got good. They won some games. They have an MVP, but not a success. Now they're just a team trying to use a window where they've got good players trying to win a title. That's all they are. They're a regular team now. So I'm committed to you not to tweet anymore about the process and to tweet anymore that the process is over or we didn't trust the process or we did trust the process. I'm committed to not saying it because the process is over. You don't get to keep saying that we believe in the process when we're on to the next coach and we're another year past when this all started. Josh Harris, you've got a lot of work to do, but you've got this. All right, when we come back, we're going to review the new Michael J. Fox movie. And then I'm going to tell you what's going on in Tempe, Arizona. I'm not sure that this story is getting enough attention, but we're talking about the relocation of a baseball team. How about the relocation of a hockey team? Does that even merit your attention? We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. 
Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Happy Wednesday. I will not be here tomorrow or Friday. We have a mailbag episode for you tomorrow. And I will be back Monday. I'm going to see Bruce Springsteen. I will tell you all about it on Monday. I am carping the hell out of some DMs. We have not taken a day here on Nothing Personal. Coca, when was the last time? I think it was February at some point. Maybe we took a day. All I know is we take pride in coming to you every single day, live at 8 a.m., and then giving you something in the feed to listen to or watch when I or Coca am not here tomorrow. That's a fine. My voice sounds like Friday, doesn't it? I wonder why that is. Maybe because my voice does think it's Friday, because maybe my voice has recorded shows as though it is Friday. Hmm. So we'll be back live on Monday. I will have opportunities to watch a movie every day, no matter what, because that's what I do. The movie I watched yesterday was an emotional one. I've told you before about my best friend, Brett Parker, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's about 15 years ago. As a young man, he was 38 years old. He and I had run marathons together. Everything was going great. He picked up the phone one day and called me and said, you wouldn't believe this. I've got Parkinson's. And I immediately thought that meant he was about to die. I really didn't know anything about Parkinson's at that time. Much like with anything in life, you learn about it when you have to, when it affects a family member or uh, a friend. What Brett Parker has been doing every year since then is working with the Michael J. Fox Foundation to raise money to find a cure because he needs a cure. And he does a different event every year. We are doing an event this year called the 4448. We're running four miles every four hours for 48 hours. We're doing this in September. It's going to be a big deal because I don't know that we can do it. And we're going to get him to and raise over a million dollars will be his raise for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, Michael J. Fox Foundation, so that that money can be used to find a cure that I hope can cure Brett. But in case it can't, then it can be used to cure the next young person who gets it because it is not, not pleasant to have Parkinson's. So I sat and watched the new Michael J. Fox movie called Still. And I tried to watch it through the eyes of Brett. And I also watched it through the eyes of Brett's best friend, who's me. And I engaged with it in two totally different ways. I engaged in it in a very sad, frustrating way that I wanted to hear more about the foundation. I wanted him to promote the foundation more, and I didn't want to believe how he looked physically. I thought that Brett would engage with that movie and be, woe is me, this is where I'm going to be. He's been behind Michael J. Fox in terms of symptoms from the get-go, sort of the same distance behind. Instead, Brett's reaction to the movie was, hey, he's had it way longer than I've had it. Michael J. Fox is 60 years old. He acknowledged in the movie, which is a movie about his past, talks about his rise to stardom from family ties to back to the future. It revisits some stuff that you already knew that Eric Stoltz was going to be Marty McFly, and then they fired him and brought in Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox, the Canadian, hardly the overnight sensation, got discovered in the nick of time when he was down to his last nickel, his last piece of furniture, and somehow he became an absolute superstar. 
Ironically, Parkinson's didn't care that he was a superstar. And when he felt that he had it and got diagnosed with it, he lied about it. He didn't say a word for seven years. It is something that there's so many things that people have, whether they're diseases or gender identity issues or sexual preferences that they feel as though their job will be impacted. They feel as though people will look at them differently if they say it. And I find it to be one of the saddest parts of the movie, making me think about all the people who can't be true to themselves, who can't reach out and get the help they need or want or deserve because of the judgment that they're going to get. And it brings me back to my general view, which is live and let live. And how about showing a little tolerance? But Michael J. Fox was worried about that, worried he wouldn't get any acting jobs. So he was hiding his Parkinson's. He was taking pills to control his symptoms while on set. If you go back and look now, which this movie does, it goes to scenes where you can see him compensating. And then he went public. And then he started changing lives by starting the Michael J. Fox Foundation. This movie is called Still a Michael J. Fox Movie. It is a must watch on Apple TV. Now, while you may think that you can't watch it because it's sad to see what he is now, just know the strength that he shows, the resilience and the power of his message and what they've already accomplished with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. While there has not been a cure, there has been so many improvements in symptom treatment, in testing, early detection, ways that can get people to live longer. My friend Brett Parker is able to do these athletic things year after year, doing epic shit, as he calls it. DES has it tattooed right on his leg because it matters to show people that with resilience, you have an opportunity. Still, a Michael J. Fox movie is something that I would like everyone to watch. All right, I'm now moving on to what's going on in Tempe, Arizona. In Tempe, Arizona, there was a ballot issue last night and it failed. Let me give you the quick background, if you don't mind. Strange that this has never come up. Did you know the owner, Coca and I, when we were negotiating and we were researching this story, 4869, Coca and I, when we were researching this story, said to each other, hey, can you name the owner of the Arizona Coyotes? And I couldn't. And I thought I could name every owner of all the four major sports. Well, this guy, Alex Muriello, is a Cuban-American, the first ever Latino majority owner in the National Hockey League. Never heard of him. Never heard of the fact that he owns the Sahara in Vegas. Never heard of the fact that he owns a bunch of TV and radio stations on the West Coast. Never knew he was a Cuban-American billionaire. Nothing. I didn't realize that he took over majority of the Coyotes back in 2019 from a guy who also who I hadn't heard of, Andrew Barraway. I don't know what I've been doing. Did you know that only a month and a half ago, the former owner of the Coyotes, the then minority partner of the Coyotes, were you aware that he was permanently banned by Gary Bettman? Done. He was accused of strangling his wife, kicked out of the NHL had to sell his shares to Alex Muriello. I cannot roll my R's properly, I apologize. We're just gonna call him Alex. For purposes of this discussion, Alex is the current owner. Andrew was the former majority owner who became the minority owner, who now is the zero owner. 
So just a few months ago, Alex became the complete owner of the Coyotes. The only thing I knew about the Coyotes is that they played in a college rink. Coca, I believe, went to a game there, right, Coca? What was it? 5,000 was the capacity. And I thought that the whole purpose of playing in Mullet Arena, thank you, Coca, was that they had a deal done where they were building a new rink, a new arena in Arizona with the concomitant ancillary development, and that it was a done deal. Why else would they be playing in Mullet Arena? It turns out, joke's on me. I was wrong. There was no done deal at all. It had to be voted on by the people. Here's a quick word of advice to people trying to get public financing. Avoid public votes like the plague. Don't go for anything that requires a referendum. You're likely to lose. The people in Arizona chose a landfill over a new hockey rink. And now that the referendums have lost, the Coyotes are screwed. All of the money that they thought they were getting, all of the public money to build this arena, to have this ancillary development, it's gone. So now what do you do? Well, you get your statements ready. It's as though the Coyotes were not ready to lose these propositions, or I call them referendums, because the statements that came from the Coyotes president and from Gary Bettman, I found to be not even close to good enough. There was going to be this 16,000 seat arena. They were going to have a music venue. There was going to be residential, luxury retail, restaurants, hotels. It was going to be near the airport. It was going to be amazing. That's what I thought was done. Now that it's not done, this is what the team president said. Xavier Gutierrez, we are very disappointed that Tempe voters did not approve propositions 301, 302, and 303. As the mayor said, it was the best sports deal in Arizona history. Quick hint, when you're marketing a vote, you don't ever want to say when there's going to be a referendum, you don't want to say, listen, this is the best, because what you're really saying, it's the best of things that are looked at as the worst of all deals. So being the best of the worst, not really the position you want to say. But anyway, we've got a little double down here when the mayor said, hey, this is the best sports deal in Arizona history. The Coyotes, according to the president, wish to thank everyone who supported our efforts and voted yes. Community leaders stepped up, became our advocates, and were grateful. The countless volunteers who worked so hard to try to make the Tempe Entertainment District a reality. Notice how he didn't say the arena. He said the Tempe Entertainment District. He thanked the Tempe City Council for their support as well. While we wanted a different outcome, we remain grateful to all those who volunteer their time and talent. This is a bunch of malarkey. My statement after losing was very simple. Gutierrez ends it with, what's next for the franchise will be evaluated by our owners and the NHL over the coming weeks. No, not even close to good enough. Are you telling me that you were so sure you were going to win the propositions that you did not in any way plan for them to fail and you were not prepared? That's like being a 70% favorite in an election and having no concession speech written by anybody. Your advisors always write in concession speech as well as the accept acceptance speech, always. The best you're gonna do is now figure out what's next? No. 
They lost. Here's what you say. What the voters have done today is ended the possibility of the Arizona Coyotes being a hockey team in Arizona. There is a National Hockey League team, a professional sports league team that will be forced to relocate because of what the voters did. It is absolutely their right to do it, but their actions will have consequences. We are in touch with the National Hockey League to formally apply to relocate, and we'll be entertaining options starting immediately because staying at Mullet Arena is not acceptable to any of our partners in the National Hockey League. Aloha. You've got to make people suffer for the fact that they did not approve your entertainment district, even if it had been a bad deal, even if you thought you may lose, even if you weren't expecting to win, which of course they were. Make the people realize when you don't want professional sports, have at it, you're going to lose it, and you're going to pay five times as much to get it back. I'm talking about you, Seattle. Gary Bettman said the NHL is terribly disappointed by the results of the public referenda regarding the Coyotes Arena project in Tempe. We're going to review with the Coyotes what the options might be going forward. Are you kidding me? You are the commissioner of the NHL. Now you're going to start reviewing options? Why don't you tell us that you've already reviewed them and you're ready to act right now? You are going to be a laughing stock in every other community when you try to get public financing if you come out so soft after losing a vote like this. You got to come out strong, hard, resolute, and this is it. No, we're going to spend some weeks. We're going to get together. We're going to take a little break because we're so tired from getting out the vote that we're just going to, we're going to regroup. You know who says they're going to regroup after a loss? Losers. We're not regrouping. We're coming at you harder. Well, we'll see what happens. I'll give you a wait to see, and it's going to be official. The Arizona Coyotes are relocating. You heard it here. They will leave Arizona. There's no saviors. Arizona can focus on the D-backs and their new ballpark that they need. They can focus on Matt Ishbia and how great he is at hugging Nikola, or they can focus on Kyler Murray getting better. Fine, but they are no longer going to be a four-sport city. Book it, Coca. Wait to see when we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. We'll revisit it because we're not like the other gas bags on the other networks. We will revisit. The Phoenix Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes are going to relocate. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Nuggets minus six over the Lakers. The Nuggets had a 20-point lead in the third quarter. That's a win. I chose to end the pick of the day at the end of the third quarter. I cashed out. That's a win. We were 76 and 73 going into the day, and we're 76 and 73 coming out of the day because Coca said, you can't do that, David. So we pushed. The Nuggets won 132-126, a valiant comeback effort by the Lakers. Anthony Davis had a tremendous game. But Nikola Jokic, talk about the MVP. I watched Embiid play against the Celtics and Teeter Horford, son Al, <laughs> caught myself. Jokic going against AD, and here's how Jokic did. I think 36 points, 23 rebounds, and 14 assists in 42 minutes of play. That's called an MVP. He was the best player on the floor. With all due respect to LeBron James, who at 38 is doing things that are just spectacular and I love watching. 
Jokic is the best player on the floor. With the ball, without the ball, they actually played better defense on him in the second half. It wasn't enough. Nuggets are up one nothing. And all I kept thinking while watching this game last night, all I could think about is that the Nuggets could go to the finals, will go to the finals for the first time ever, and they're going to get a ring. How cool is that? Nuggets up one nothing. Tonight, the other Eastern Conference final starts, the other conference final starts. It's Heat and Celtics. I am done betting against the Heat. I'm done. Heat plus eight versus Celtics. The Heat are not satisfied. Jimmy Butler came out and said it's our year. Jimmy Butler wants a ring, and boy, would it be funny if they got the ring and the Sixers didn't. That would be trusting quite a process. Do I believe that the Celtics are a better overall team? Yes. Absolutely deeper and better. But there's something about the Heat. There's something about Pat Riley. There's something about him and Spolstra and the makeup of the team. And this hurts to say in a way that only Jeremy can understand. Heat plus eight versus Celtics. I'm also going to give you a baseball game to watch tonight. Have you been watching what's going on with the Yankees? Well, first we can say the Mets are 20 and 23. Verlander got booed off the mound. We can say to you that the Mets are an absolute disaster after 43 games, and they're right with the San Diego Padres. The two teams that I told you that the other 28 teams want to lose, they are having schadenfreude like you can't believe. The Padres are 20 and 23. The Mets are 20 and 23. It's so good. They're trying to figure out how to hit. Both teams are. The Mets are promoting prospects left and right, trying to figure out some combination. Verlander gets the, his home debut and gives up six runs to the Rays, of course. Meanwhile, the Yankees are trying to be better. They send out Domingo Herman, the guy who we had as a Marlin. They send him out. His pants look weird. The umpire comes out, and guess what? <laughs> Ejected for sticky substances. There are now two pitchers in baseball who've been ejected for sticky substances this year, a Met and a Yankee. Max Scherzer, 10 games. See you later. Guess what? Herman is going to be suspended for 10 games. That stretches a pitching staff that is already stretched beyond Garrett Cole. You thought that you'd have Severino. No. You thought you'd have Rodon. No. You thought you'd have nasty Nestor. And we talked to you about the concept of regression. Nestor Cortez is not an all-star pitcher. He's a middle to bottom of the rotation guy at best. Garrett Cole is pitching like an ace. He's going against Chris Bassett tonight. Aaron Judge, accused of cheating, didn't cheat, hit another home run yesterday. So much talk about his side glancing and who he's looking at and what he's looking at. Aaron Judge is not looking for anything. If they're stealing signs, then they tell judge what it's going to be and what to look for. If the pitcher is tipping pitches, they tell the batter what to look for when he's tipping his pitches. The glances, they have these Zabruder-like glances. It's enough already. So the Yankees have a must-win tonight. Because believe it or not, the team with the second highest payroll in baseball has a must win every time Cole pitches, which is not how it's supposed to be. Garrett Cole and the Yankees over the Blue Jays. That's my pick for Wednesday. I'll give you one for tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going the other way and taking Berrios over Cortez. 
So the reason I'm doing that is, as I told you, Cortez is not who you think, and Berrios is finally pitching better. So play these three. Heat, eight over the Celtics, plus eight. Yankees over the Blue Jays Wednesday, but Blue Jays over the Yankees on Thursday. And then we'll get to discuss it all Monday when I'll be back live. There will be a show tomorrow. Enjoy the mailbag episode. And until then, I appreciate you. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.